When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You said that people have perceptions of you. What did they say? The guy never smiles. The guy is ruthless. And what's the truth? The truth is that there is some truth on it. <laughs> Nothing can replace the feeling of playing football at this level. The team is the engine of the club. We've got an amazing squad here. Out. <laughs> it's only the second time that I get a job in mid-season. Never seen someone covered Twitter, Instagram. Oh my god! Oh, Pain! <laughs> if you make a lot of noise, I give one more day off. What happened to us this season is impossible. The last thing Spurs need right now. How do we do that? Tottenham are out. We are on shutdown. Coronavirus has led to the cancellation of all football. Well, the team are good guys. But good guys, they never win. Play aggressive. How is that right? Play, please. And believe that you can win. Courage, honesty, friendship, that's the most important thing in life and in football. Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. If you haven't listened to us before, you can check us out on iTunes, we're on Audio Boom, we're on Spotify, we're on all major audio platforms. We can be found on Twitter at Last Word on Spurs and also our website www.lastwordonspurs.co.uk We are providing you with instant reaction to the first three episodes of Tottenham Hotspurs Amazon Prime All or Nothing series. Given that Tottenham Hotspur have not won any silverware in 12 years nor a league title since 1961, they are a curious subject for Amazon Prime's latest All or Nothing series. Spurs' season 
finishing a modest sixth would appear on paper at least to lack the jeopardy and scale of previous iterations of the show, from New Zealand's all-conquering All Blacks to Pep Guardiola's title-winning Man City, from car accidents to secret meetings, it's fair to say the opening episodes of the Amazon Prime documentary has it all. Spurs providing bucket loads, the conflict, despair, setbacks and disappointments. And overall, Mourinho's drive to overcome them factors. And ultimately, the most, the fans. That's what sport is all about. It's getting punched in the gut. And even when you get knocked out of the FA Cup to Norwich, doing it all over again the next week with the heart ruling the head. Spurs allow cameras to follow their every move within Hotspur Way training complex and at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, with cameras fixed in various offices, including the managers and the changing rooms. There's only so much value in seeing a team succeed, and there is something altogether more profound about watching a team suffer and their attempts to turn things around. While Amazon may have spent a year following another trophyless Tottenham season, they have shown there's just as much entertainment value in winning nothing as winning at all particularly when Jose Mourinho is leading your men. Above all else, watching the first three episodes of All or Nothing Tottenham Hotspur, Amazon's new documentary gives you a sense of the psychological methods used by manager Jose Mourinho. And we are here to talk you through those first three episodes. So yes, we're coming with spoilers. Yes, we're coming to talk about those three episodes in detail. So if you have not, if you have not watched the first three episodes of the documentary, we suggest you watch them first, then come back to us to provide you with all the spoilers ahead of the shows. I'm delighted to be joined on this very special show with Lee McQueen at Lee McQueen, with Chris Cowling at Chris Cowling and with John from Lily White Rose at Lily White underscore Rose as we reflect on episodes one to three of the Tottenham Hotspur documentary All or Nothing. Chris, I'm going to start with you to open up the show. So episode one starts with Daniel Levy right in front of the camera and Spurs fans actually get the chance to really hear Levy in his natural environment. The chairman is one to often normally shy away from publicity and public speaking. And as we know, Daniel comes in for a lot of criticism, often from sections of Spurs fans for the club's lack of trophies, do we need reminding, with just the one League Cup in his 20 years as chairman. And he opens up by saying, the perception of him is that he's hard-nosed, stubborn, doesn't care and is not ambitious and he thinks that is unfair. He reckons that for him, he's incredibly ambitious to improve the team. The fans just don't understand how hard it is to get to that place. He said he's run a lot of businesses. Running a football club is the hardest business he's ever had to run. Daniel then goes on to explain the thought process behind the new state-of-the-art stadium and how he wooed the NFL into collaborating with him. Pochettino arrives to watch the NFL game and greets Daniel. Daniel then explains his thinking behind Pochettino at the time of hiring him, his ninth manager at that point. He explained that with Maurizio, it was something about him that he liked. He liked the way Maurizio behaved in front of the media at Southampton, the brand of football he played. And he actually admitted during that documentary that he got lucky with his appointment. What did you make, Chris, of that opening scene, Daniel Levy, front of the camera, and the introduction there of Maurizio with Daniel. I wasn't surprised, actually. I was very disappointed the fact that um, Pochettino asked, only lasted 22 minutes of the opening show. I felt like Pochettino was very soon forgotten. Um, it was very emotional, the way that the programme started, with seeing Lucas Morris score that third goal in the semi-final against Ajax, and then, of course, you, you saw the glimpses of Pochettino crying in that interview. It brought it all right back of how emotional it was, of you know what a great job he did, what um, you know, what great achievements that Pochettino had at Tottenham, you know, delivering us top four year in, year out. 
um, it just took us right back to that that moment. And um, you know, Daniel Levy has got a very difficult job at Tottenham. You know, he has to make the decisions. He ultimately let Pochettino go, which you know, a lot of us fans, including myself, was very disappointed with that decision. Um, but when you look at what Daniel Levy and the board have delivered, and you know, you look at the the fantastic stadium uh, that he's delivered, um, you know, for us fans, you know, the training ground facilities, you know, we go on about this week in week out on these shows, um, you know, about all of the fantastic facilities Tottenham do have. It is now about backing the manager, and it is about spending the money. So when people say about Daniel Levy not being ambitious, I think that that is where. The ultimate aim is about spending money because, you know, when Pochettino was manager, 518 days we didn't spend a penny for. You know, if we would have spent money in that time, you know, who knows what Pochettino could have achieved, you know, took us to a Champions League final. Um, but as I say, I, I, I'm glad that Pochettino was in it. I'm just very disappointed that we didn't see Pochettino in the changing room giving team talks because I would love to have seen that and and I must admit in the first episode that is what I was really looking forward to um, even the press said that it was the first 22 minutes and then you know Pochettino was out of the program but in that 22 minutes I expected um, us to see a lot more of Pochettino in the changing room him with the players etc and uh, it was glossed over very very quickly and when you think that he was at the club for five and a half years and achieved what he did um, I felt that he should have been in the programme a lot more. Lee, coming round to you, as the new season approaches, there's three key players that have issues with their contract, as we know, in Alderweireld, Vertonghen and Eriksson. Eriksson, as we know, went public at the time to say he wants to leave the club and Pochettino himself, we see, is questioning his own role and how much power he does have within the club. Daniel Levy at this point emphasised the engine of the club is the team. He hates it when we lose. It is not something that he can directly control and obviously he can influence by hopefully making the right decisions concerning the people that are running the club. Beside the footage from press conferences, there is just a single interview with Pochettino in which he spins a football in his hands and wistfully says for him, if a house is falling down, everyone sees it fall. But you have to anticipate that the house is going to fall. He then insists that we're talking general, we are talking about Tottenham, but it's not hard to think that deep down, Maurizio knew that his time would soon be up. How did you feel, Lee, with those scenes of Maurizio and how that was obviously captured by Amazon ahead of his departure from the football club. Chris makes some good points. I think that for, for me, it is a TV show and having been on one myself, although a long time ago, you know, it's the power of the edit. The edit will always be based on what the outcome is going to be. And the outcome for this documentary is not Potticino. So, you know, the, the reality is that he was always only going to get a small, small part um, although he was still with the club for a good two and a half months, even three months, I think it was, um, until until obviously the, the fateful day after Sheffield United. So um, I think that that's just the power of the edit. Um, I also want to put on as well when I'm reviewing these um, uh, these uh, these episodes, reviewing so from uh, I'm not critiquing the Amazon documentary, I'm not critiquing you know how it works and whatever. I'm actually reviewing based on you know what we see on the screen because that's all we can do. And, and to be honest, you know whether or not that's a power edit or not, it looked like Pochettino wasn't wasn't that engaged. It, it felt like he didn't want to be in front of that camera when he was spinning that football um, and, and talking to Amazon. And that was kind of indicative of the reports coming out at a time whereby he wasn't that happy with um, with uh, Amazon being there at all. So, you know, I think that, you know, when we come on to, to, to later episodes, we're going to see the, the contrast in, 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 in how Jose is in front of the, the, the camera. But I think for me, with, with Pochettino, 
you know, I think I WhatsApp you guys when we was watching it last night, right? I was like, mate, I'm, I'm crying already. I've seen Ajax, all of the memories come back, the emotion. Oh, it's fa- it yeah. fantastic, yeah. absolutely fantastic to see. And no, no one's going to be able to take that away from us. But the documentary is built based on what the outcome is going to be. And the outcome is, isn't Champions League final last year. And it isn't Maurizio Botticino. So I think that the way they've put it together is, is, um, is good. Um, and uh, I, I, felt, I felt what was really interesting about Daniel Levy, just picking up a point that, um, that Chris made before and, and you made before about Daniel, them, them contract situations and, you know, how hard-nosed we all think he is. And actually, you know, so far, even straight away, episode one, he doesn't really come across like that. He comes across quite quite placid, actually, um, and in certain, certain areas. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops over the next couple of episodes. John, coming round to you, we see narrator Tom Hardy talking ominously over how the hangover of the Champions League final seems very real, as Spurs have their worst ever start to a season under Maurizio Pochettino. The team managed to win just two of their opening eight matches, and we see Sissoko, Son, Kane and Lloris discuss the poor start to the season under Maurizio and explain about a lack of confidence within the squad. We see snaps of Pochettino answering media questions with one-word responses, almost as if he's clueless in terms of how to revive this team. Levy then talks about how 600 jobs depend on the club's successes, as does thousands of other people. It's a huge responsibility. Spurs are then at that point just won once in their last six league games, just seven points off the bottom of the table. After the news breaks that Maurizio has been let go, Levy is sat alone in the dark at the Spurs canteen. The news is delivered to the viewers by clips from radio and TV with analysis from phone-ins. There is no dramatic footage of the moment Pochettino was sat by Daniel Levy. For you, John, how do you feel how that was put across to the viewers in terms of Pochettino's departure? And was you happy with the time allocated towards Maurizio? Personally, Rick, look, we all, you know, all, all of us guys that have worked with you and been on the Love Sports shows, we've all said, you know, how much we love Pochettino. And to be honest with you, albeit I agree with a lot of the points uh, Chris and, and Lee have made thus far, I didn't really want to see the sort of blood and guts and all of Pochettino being sacked. I didn't really want everyone to be put, you know, he's quite an emotional guy, Pochettino. I don't really want to see, you know, that that awkward moment of him just sort of being let go and it coming so quick. We heard from Harry Kane that he didn't know it was coming at all. Kane had spoken to him that evening and he was relaying that message to some of the other players. Um, you know, for me personally, I didn't want to see uh, Pochettino reduced to that, basically. So, you know, I, I thought they did the best they probably could in that scenario. We also don't know what sort of uh, contractual obligations Tottenham have with Maurizio. You know, he may have, when he was sacked, there may be something in his contract that lots of footage cannot be shown um, of him being sacked and sort of him in a, in a sort of negative uh, limelight. So he may have only wanted that small part. We don't know. We can only guess on what we see. And, and for me, uh, I, I think Tottenham dealt with it uh, quite possibly in the best way they could. Would I have liked to have seen some of the fallouts uh, of those disappointing results against Colchester um, and Brighton? Yes, absolutely. Because I would like to have seen, as Chris alluded to, how Potts responded to the players in the dressing room and how they were acting with him in response to that. Were we getting, uh, as we see from the likes of Harry Kane, Deli Alley later on in the series, uh, those sort of vocal responses and, and really sort of an engagement between the manager and player at the end? I would like to have seen that. But from what we did see, uh, I, I'm pleased... You know, Pochettino wasn't sort of humiliated in any way. He can still hold his head high 
Uh, and I'm still looking forward to him getting a, a big job with another club and, and doing well as, as a great manager that he is. Chris, coming round to you, there's definitely a certain sadness about seeing the Argentines' office being cleaned out after five and a half years in which he gave almost everything to the football club. Daniel Levy explains his thinking and how a lot of heartache went into it. He said, it is never easy when you have to ask somebody to leave the club and when you've been working with somebody for five years, it's difficult. My heart was telling me, don't do it. My brain was telling me I needed to do it. It was the most emotional decision I've ever had to make. It was more than just an employee-employer relationship. We went away together. We had a lot of fun times together. I'm sure after a little while, we will continue doing that. Everyone's going to have a different opinion. The facts are the results where we wanted to be wasn't good enough. Now what we have to do is we have to feel what we do is right for the football club and only time will tell if that is the right decision. Now, the section where Pochettino is in charge, it does feel like there's a prolonged to what is essentially the Jose Mourinho show. And obviously, this is clearly a document signed off by a subject to, you know, pretty severe limitations. There's next to nothing insidery on the Pochettino sacking, no mention of the Brighton game or the Gomez injury against Everton. And in general, Pochettino only lasts half an episode of the nine-episode series. Little is seen of Pochettino's prior to his demise. He's reported to have been against the Amazon cameras, been allowed into the training ground or stadium under his reign. It does seem fully condensed that the first three months of the season into 15 minutes just to get to Mourinho. But you can't help but feel we've lost a lot of footage that would have actually used if Pochettino had stayed. And it is a real curious opening 22 minutes that precede Mourinho's whirlwind arrival at Tottenham in the first instalment. And like we say, it feels like Daniel Levy's puffed piece that frames his decision to act as an inevitable necessity, not the merciless and truthfully surprising one, is quite incredible. And then we see a, a flash, or we then see it cut to another scene where we get this moment from Jose Mourinho's agent who says, we did well to keep it quiet, didn't we? And you know his legal team, as they're sitting there with Daniel and Donna Cullen, are signing this 45-page book which forms the club's 15 million a year contract with their new manager. And Levy's just sacked his most successful coach, Maurizio Pochettino, whose belongs are being shown, collected in boxes by his club staff, as his office at the training ground is emptied. I mean, talk us through that for you, Chris. You know, th that craziness, it does feel like it was very much kind of rushed. There was this panic of getting this deal over the line, getting that contract signed. Tell us that crazy 24 to 48 hour period. It's very gripping. This show is very gripping. And I think at that point, I think everyone sort of sits up in their chair and think, wow, this is what I want to watch. And, you know, this is how it, this is where it gets interesting. Um, as you say, he signs a 45-page document and, um, you know, Jose Mourinho is named Tottenham Hotspur manager. And I will never, ever forget uh, the night of, you know, Maurizio Pochettino, um, the, the announcement coming out of his sacking. And then, of course, in the morning you wake up, Jose Mourinho appointed. Wow. Uh, you know, what a moment, you know, a moment that I will never, ever forget. And, you know, for, for Daniel Levy and the ball to bring in um, a manager of that experience, you know, been there, done it. He's won every single trophy. And uh, and like I keep saying, you know, Tottenham haven't won a trophy in so long. And that is why Jose Mourinho is here. Jose Mourinho is obviously here um, to deliver Tottenham something that we have been missing. You know, that grit, that determination, that um, that bastard style, as he keeps saying um, on the show, um, you know, the aggression. And that's what he's hopefully going to bring to Tottenham. And, uh, you know, Trophies are way, way overdue. And I know I keep saying it on every single show, um, but we all, as Tottenham fans, want to see the glory. We all want to see the trophies. And if Jose Mourinho can't do that at Tottenham, then who can? 
Now, what we do see in a rare interview with normally private Daniel Levy is he says that Mourinho, for him, is among the top two managers in world football, implying that he had no doubt who he should appoint following a poor start to the season despite many controversies. And so jokingly, we see him, Mourinho say it's like a wedding when he poses alongside his new chairman for an unveiling photograph. With Levy very much the blushing bride, Mourinho soon moves into his new office and meticulously opens up his boxes and places his new belongings on his desk. There is perhaps of an older generation will appreciate the one object the new Spurs boss places on his desk, an old school wide transparent ruler with letter stencil gaps in it. One of Mourinho's first interviews, he says that he's only difficult for players that don't share his principles and do not give 100%. Jose Mourinho says he delivers feedback without filter and that is certainly apparent in this series. When he arrived and he just kind of put his right hand up, didn't he say, morning, and, and all the players are like, you know, what's going on here? You know, it felt like somebody very, very important had just walked in. Um, and then and then even, even you know, the board, they looked nervous. You, you said it looked rushed. I thought they looked a bit nervous when they were signing signing the document and stuff. It felt like that, you know, this ain't done till it's actually done. Do you get what I mean? Like any, anyone out there that's, totally um, totally you know, that, that yeah. waits for something that's massive, you know what I mean? Is she going to say yes or is he going to say yes or am I going to get this deal over the line or, you know, whatever it is in business or in life, you know, that, that, that was the moment. It was kind of like, I have chased this guy for so long and I'm bloody nervous until, until he actually signs and then he signs and then of course, you know, holding up the shirt what we see is we see Jose holding up the shirt with the training ground in the background. What you don't see is what, what Amazon um, on the documentary is that before he holds up the shirt, he turns it around. He looks at the training ground. He kisses the back of the shirt and he talks to it almost in some sort of kind of, I don't know, like some sort of yeah. ritual, yeah. which yeah. I thought was really, really interesting. You know, maybe it's yeah. something it's in his mind that says, look, I'm here now. This is my home. You know, please, the, the footballing gods or whatever, whoever he was praying to or whatever his ritual is he was he was asking for that blessing to come and, and do well for the club I, I love that sort of stuff me I thought that was excellent and I think you know it, it reminded me I, I've cleared out a few offices in my time voluntary and involuntary I have to add um, and yeah it reminded me of that, that time when you're just settling yourself in it's so weird isn't it you know somebody who's so high profile so so much success on a football field yet he's getting out his little ruler <laughs> you just think, really, it's like it's so it's so Crazy, cute almost it? in, in a way, if, yeah. if I can use that word. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I thought it was I thought it was fantastic. And then of course he delivers. You know, love him or hate him, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that don't like Joe says, a lot of people that don't want him at our club, there's a lot of people that are kind of warming to him, there's a lot of people that love him. But but wh- whichever way you, you standpoint, you have to be able to respect the fact that he tells it how it is. You know, anybody that's had a boss that put pussyfoots around doesn't say how it is. You're not quite sure where you stand. You know, as an employee, that's really, really frustrating. You know, as a leader, as somebody that just tells you how it is. I, I work for obviously for, for Lord Sugar for the best part of three years, and he let me let me tell you something. He didn't mess around either. He told you how it was, and you know, you know where you stand. So for me personally, I quite like that. I quite like the fact that you know that he tells it how it is. And you know where you stand with him and, and actually you know what you've got to do. And he's already proved that in the first episode, he starts, you know, talking to the players about, you know, getting better, doing certain things differently. And, you know, and the mentality of the guy, this is what we want as fans. Like, yeah, I, that, I, know, I know about, we're coming to the football later because cl- li- clearly, Jose, not once in them first three episodes as he talked about sit back and park the bus. No. Not once as no. he said that in his tactics. So let that be quite interesting as we get into it. But, you know, you know the mentality of the man, he's coming in and saying, right, this club is, is as Chris has already alluded to, one trophy and 20 years after um, it, under this, this stewardship of, of Daniel Levy in the board, 
that is not good enough. I need to change the mentality. And he's cha- he started, day one, started to change the mentality. And, and I have to say, as a fan who wants us to be successful, I absolutely loved it. When it comes to Pochettino sacking, the players have shown disgust in his departure. Harry came with his teammates, Jan Vertonghen and Hummin Son, are at the breakfast table awaiting the arrival of their breakfast. And the day after Pochettino's dismissal, we see Vertonghen can be heard. And he says, did the staff know it was coming to Harry? Harry says, no, shaking his head. I spoke to him last night in terms of Pochettino. The chairman came in and said to Pochettino, can I talk? You're being sacked. You need to pack your bags and leave tonight. While Mourinho's trophy highlight reel played out in the background. For the players, there were shockwaves still reverberating around. We saw sat in the canteen Daniel Levy having a moment the night before and then Harry Wicks pondering how tactical training is going to become. A pundit on Sky Sports can be heard declaring that Mourinho is past his best, which prompts the two-time Champions League winner to get up, turn off the TV, uttering F off as he does. And Mourinho is in charge. This is his show. And by all means, he's far from finished, isn't he? First brick where the players are sitting in the canteen. It makes you remember how much... They're just normal people. It's like being at school and you're getting a new teacher or something and you've heard all this stuff about him. And totally how's it, agree. How's it going to be different to you know what we've done every other day? Because a lot of those players hadn't worked under a, uh, other than Maurizio. So it was a total different contrast of style. And, and seeing Winks made it all the more human when he said, oh, you know, we've never had so much coverage on, on Instagram and Facebook. And that even cited the Daily Mail. It was quite funny to see how, you know, people are very similar uh, to, to normal people, basically, in terms of where sometimes they get their news from. So, yeah, that, that was that was great. And it was interesting that Tottenham sort of really hyped it up, even to the players, by showing those images of him lifting Champions Leagues and Premier League titles uh, to, to let the players know sort of how much of a big coup this was uh, in attracting a manager of, of Jose's uh, calibre. Um, and then, obviously, yeah, it's, it's also interesting that, yeah, why, why, you know, why does he want to hear from Paul Merston and the like saying he's finished? So, he quite rightfully got up and, and switched that off and, and showed a real-life characteristic there as well. You know, all of us would be annoyed by people slagging us off on the first day we've just started a new job. And, you know, he, he came into Tottenham saying he's changed his ways. He's had times to think about uh, how he would react in his next job uh, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that segment, actually. I thought it made it uh, made the viewers sort of very compelled watching and, and you felt like you were sitting in that canteen as well. And, you know, Amazon and, and 72 Films have done a brilliant job in that respect. Now, this is where we start to see more than previous documentaries have allowed. Mourinho's great strength and weakness where things start to unravel has always been his man management and the way he forges the kind of relationships that he has done previously with players and the way they run through brick walls for him and the way he quickly identifies the players he needs to get on side first is genuinely captivating. What do we call Winks? He goes to Rose. Winksy because of Harry. Walker Peters, what do you like? Mourinho swears in almost every scene. He swears when he's playing with the teams in training, saying, effing hell, man, I'm in great form. The Portuguese soon brought his trademark honesty to training sessions, soon picking out Deli Ali in their first training together. Mourinho approaches Deli and says, and tells him, that's effing lazy. And in a scene showing Mourinho's first training session, the boss went up to Ali and said, Effing lazy. I'm going to be a pain in the arse for you. And you're lucky because when I'm a pain in the arse, it means that I like you. Walking off the pitch, he tells his squad, there must be something wrong with this team because I've played against you many, many times. Nobody's insulted me in the tunnel or nothing, man. And then we obviously see Mourinho tell Harry Kane that he would turn him into one of the most iconic footballers in the world. A movie star status like we've seen in terms of himself as a manager. What was your reaction to that chain of events over this crazy 24 to 48 hours? 
I reckon they were absolutely scared stiff. As John said, it's like it's like having your schoolmaster, you know, come in. And uh, what made me laugh is Jose was actually putting the cones out. Um, I thought, you know, re- you know, talk about yeah. mucking and, and do the, the dirty work. You know, you think that he'd have his his people out putting the cones out, but no, he was doing it himself. Um, and the other thing that made me laugh is the fact that he got. Um, you know, really involved in the training, clipboard in the hand and, you know, trying to really get involved and kick the ball with the clipboard in the hand, which uh, I thought was going to go flying at one point. But, yeah, you're right. Um, Very, you know, he wanted to get players, you know, the important players on board very, very quickly. You know, Harry Kane into... um, into his office and said that, you know, he'd obviously had a good relationship with the previous manager, Pochettino, and he liked that. And uh, he just wanted to gauge where Harry Kane was at. And I think it's very, very important, you know, to go to a a new club and get the very important and big players on board straight away. Um, You know, very, very impressive, uh, you know, Mourinho, Um, his man management style, you know, that insight to him um, as a manager and a man, um, I was very, very impressed with. And, uh, you know, I'm really glad that us fans have seen that because a lot of people have given uh, Mourinho a lot of negativity and a lot of negative press about him. Um, but I'm sure a lot of people will change their mind after watching uh, after watching these episodes. Totally agree. I mean, as you said there, Jose Mourinho tells Harry Kane that he would turn him into one of football's leading movie stars in almost his first act as Tottenham manager. He talks about raising his status. He Obviously, Kane responds that he wants to be on the same level as a Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. And he refers to himself as being a movie manager. And he wants to try and take Kane to that level. And quite admittedly, he does say, you know... He has better players at Tottenham than he ever had at Manchester United. And he says, you know, to Kane, this club, it's got the potential to explode. Now, what we do see with Mourinho is that he's gathering the team and basically tells them that they're all too nice. And Mourinho tells Sacramento, even in competition, they are too nice. Nice boys. They say Dyer is the only guy who likes living in conflict during the game. Mourinho was then seen calling Kane a silent leader, but, but just how vocal the England captain is behind the scenes comes across. While filling in as captain for Hugo Lloris, he's shown delivering many rallying calls. And we do see Mourinho telling Davison Sanchez that Ajax bottled the 2017 Europa League final in one of his first training sessions. Mourinho jokes with the former Ajax centre-half that his former club Manchester United won the game in the first minute. And he said to Davison, do you have balls? Mourinho demands of the defender, which does genuinely indicate that, you know, he doesn't want to get off on the wrong foot with Davinson. He's almost a character for every single player. And then we see later on during that scene, Daniel Levy stops by and tiptoes into Mourinho's office like a dad wary of embarrassing his teenage son. The Portuguese wastes no time in telling Levy he has to work with Deli Ali. I told already Deli very directly this is Mourinho. He doesn't train well. He's not a good trainer. I'm not saying he's a disaster, but I'm not saying he's like Harry Kane. Euros in six months. And then Daniel goes on to explain with Delhi that he has seemed to have a bit of a fall. And then Mourinho retorts and says, look, Sir Alex Ferguson, he gave me only one bit of advice two and a half years ago. And that was by Delhi Ali. That guy with that mentality, the way he plays, the aggression in his mind, this guy is a Manchester United player. And it was very interesting, I think, to see that play out. What was your thoughts on that? Yeah, love it. I mean, you know, just just come back to the, the the Kane bit as well. You know, for for me, that the body language of Jose Mourinho, how he he entices his players in, he, he's very touchy feely. Do you know what I mean? He's he was grabbing somebody, and he he would have a bit of banter almost with Delhi, saying, "You're too lazy. You, you're way too lazy." And then he'd go up to him and and hit him around the back of the neck and kind of 
rustle him a little bit or you know, as it, just little things as he'd walk past, you, you know, the likes of Eric Dyer and he'd, and he'd just give him a, a, a whack on the fire or something like that. And it's just kind of like, a, um, you know, a, a thing to, to, to show that he's, he likes these, these, these individuals, you know, and it's quite indicative. He did call in Kane, as Chris said, who's also calling Deli Ali and Eric Dyer separate one-to-one. So, you know, they're clearly a kind of a, uh, going to be the backbone, if you like, of of um, of what Jose is trying to build there. So they want him. They they want they want to like him. I think they do like. Him. I think they respect him, but they don't know what to to think. And then all of a sudden, you have a couple of training sessions with him, and you know he's being involved around that. And I think you know the conversation you had with Kane is all about confidence as well. You know, Kane. I've said this enough times. I say again. I don't get bored saying it. He's the best number nine in the world for me. Um, but, you know, love the fact that he's got the ambition to want to be up there with Messi and Ronaldo and, and, and be up the likes and getting Ballon d'Ors. And, you know, the, the fact that Jose is like, yeah, I can take you there. You know, stay with me, fellow, and I can take you there. And it's like building them, them like you say, the, the, the soldiers or the, the warriors that he's going to have with him. Um, I, I thought it was quite interesting the way he did react about the Soka side because I think it was a surprise to him. It looked like a surprise to him, didn't it? it and did. Maybe he starts to think, doesn't it? Now, Rick, like, actually, oh, mm. maybe I need to use him in a slightly different way then if uh, if he's that influential or if, um, you know, if, if he's that influential in the dressing room, then may, maybe I can use him in, in, in a slightly different way. So uh, it's, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating to see how he embeds in. And, and don't forget, listeners and, and, and everyone watching as well, you know, this is like, this is his first week or whatever, his first few days in the job, you know. He, he's gone in there, looked at this and said, I need to change. This is a transformation project. It's it's to transform and change the way the club operates from a mentality perspective. It, it, and that includes us. That includes the fans as well. To actually start believing and start getting that confidence to say that we can go and win and we can go and pulverise teams um, and, 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 and batter teams and beat them and, and be relentless and... That's coming, I'm, I'm pretty certain of it. I, mean, I think it's fascinating stuff. Mourinho then announces his team to face West Ham on that respective weekend. He tells the players that they will know when he is not interested in a player before going through the tactics with the players. He calls Delhi lazy once again during the tactical briefing ahead of the game. He then goes on to give us that famous indicative statement that maybe I'm wrong. I feel that like you are honestly a very nice group of guys, but for 90 minutes you cannot be nice. For 90 minutes you have to be a bunch of C's, but intelligent C's, not stupid C's. Bastards in the same sense, and you are there to win matches. We have to win. I wouldn't have come here if you were not as good as what you were. Absolutely no chance. And again, it's very noticeable how Harry Kane is very vocal in his dressing rooms. And again, he's offering and providing the delivering final words pre-match while the squad and staff get into a huddle before going out on the pitch ahead of West Ham. And we saw that in the build-up to the game against West Ham. And that episode actually ends with Mourinho stating that he absolutely hates losing. Yeah, it's an interesting one because obviously at that point in time, Delhi had had a sort of slow start to the season and he was very honest to admit the season before wasn't up to his normal high standards. So, you know, maybe the change in manager long term will release that sort of uh, aggression back in him that made him so good when he came onto the scene with MK Dons and in his first couple of years with Tottenham. Um, he has been lacking a little bit of, of desire and, and height in him. Um, but it was it was also great to see Mourinho not sort of pussyfoot around uh, that situation, he, he addressed it front on. Um, he did it in a way whereby Delhi still felt, um, although the criticism was there, and he also backed it up again, criticising him about the lazy training in front of the whole team. It was done in a way that, you know, as he said, if I get if I get on you and, it, and if I have a go at you, it means I care and, and it means it means I like you, you know. So I think that was very important. It was quite interesting that he, he, he went as far as to tell Daniel Levy about that, um, and Levy's eyes sort of lit up when. 
uh, Jose told him that Manchester United or Sir Ferguson had advised him to buy him and, and they sort of put a parameter of how high he was a couple of years ago. Now, it would have been interesting to be inside Levy's mind at that point to see if he was thinking, oh, shit, I should have sold it two years ago when he was a £150 million player. Um, <laughs> or if he was thinking, oh, we need to get him back to this level because, yeah. um, you know, we're, we're missing out on a, on a player delivering at the top level of his game and how good he can be for Tottenham, you know. I, I believe uh, myself, Lee and Chris and you, Ricky, uh, all still think that Deli Ali is very, very good and we all want him to get back to those levels of scoring braces away at Stamford Bridge against Real Madrid, uh, you know, and putting in those sort of performances. So uh, I think Mourinho will be a great manager for Delhi, uh, and I hope this year he can deliver. And just on the Davison Sanchez point, I think that was absolutely vital to go across to him because before the Ajax game or, or after the Ajax game with Manchester United, the Europa League final, it had come out in the press that he sort of targeted Davidson as a player that could get a mistake out of him. So I think it was really important because Davidson would have heard that. We've invested a lot of money in Davidson Sanchez, over £40 million. We don't need you know, his confidence shattered already as soon as the news of Mourinho's appointment is made. Um, so it was really important that he went over and had that conversation with him and, and did it sort of in a joking way again to sort of get him on, on side and, and let that be something in the past and that Davidson gets a, a fresh, clean slate under Jose. And we've seen Davidson play a lot of games under Jose, so that's really promising as well. I think that's where Jose is really clever. Um, you know, in terms of his man management, because like you say, he did it in a way that was kind of half serious, half joking. So, so Davison knows that he that he has to improve uh, in certain areas because you know he, he said I, I won that game minute one because you lot bottled it because of of, of what I think I think he said worse that effect. Um, but he, but he also said it in a kind of half joking way in the sense that you know actually look don't worry about it you know clean slate and, and all that sort of stuff. And I, so I think that that Davison knows that that Jose. Um, that Jose knows, if, if that makes sense. So they both know that there's no awkwardness in there now because he's he's dealt with it, like you say, and it's, it, no one can throw any accusations at him behind his back against this, against that. And again, that's bringing that team together and getting everybody on side. So uh, again, very, very impressive man management and it'll be he's handled uh, the, the players in the first few days for sure. We are going to go for a very quick break. When we return, episode two is coming your way. Do not go anywhere. Hello and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs, providing you with instant reaction to Tottenham Hotspurs All or Nothing documentary on Amazon. We are taking a look into episode two. A reminder that we have to say again, this is a spoiler show. So if you do not want to know what happens during the Amazon show and you're already halfway through, go and watch the Amazon show and then come back to us. So make sure you go and do that. Now, episode two starts when a press officer warns him before he's unveiling Jose Mourinho, being asked for his betrayal of his Chelsea roots by joining Spurs. He retorts, I won them the league and they sacked me. Three leagues, I won them, they sacked me. That's the betrayal. Mourinho, again, it's very much highlighted the amount of swearing that he does during games coming up with the players off camera, on camera. He swears when the team scores against West Ham saying, goal, there you go, Effindeli, you are the man. He then swears in his team talk, telling the players at half-time at the London Stadium, this shit is not over. You are not going to concede a goal from an effing set-piece. You are not going to concede a goal. And then after that, you know, the Sir Juria interest in relationship starts because he pulls Oria during training. He says, what is that about in terms of his beard, referencing that? And Daniel Levy insisting that he cares so much about helping the local area of Tottenham. There's actually a softer side that we see to Serge Aurier, where he goes and visits a local school in Wood Green, where he teaches children with learning difficulties. Chris, do you think, because we don't get a chance to see enough of these players off camera, a player like Aurier there that we know is probably going to be leaving this summer, 
Does that change your perception on certain players when you see them wanting to give back to the community? Do you know, I absolutely love uh, the work that Tottenham do, um, you know, in the community. Daniel Levy, um, you know, was saying about uh, that Tottenham want to be known as a caring club. And, you know, throughout the whole of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, you know, Tottenham done, um, you know, some wonderful work. And the Amazon documentary, you know, following Sir Jorier to uh, to the school, and then he was talking about growing up and it being tough. You know, these are the sorts of things that I'm looking forward to um, seeing in this documentary. And I just hope that in future episodes, um, they do really focus on on the players um, a lot more and, and get a lot of their thoughts about the game and, you know, about being a Tottenham Hotspur player and playing under Jose Mourinho, etc. And, uh, you know, I want to hear that desire about winning trophies. Um, you know, going back to Sir Jorier, I was a little bit disappointed when he knocked over that cup of tea and he didn't even clear it up. Um, you know, it was, it was yeah. like, yeah, it's on the floor. I'll walk out. Someone else will but clear it up. But didn't Delhi pull him as well, Chris, on his manners? Delhi also said he's got not great manners. Exactly. And uh, that's exactly what I was shouting at the TV, saying, clear that up. That's bad manners. And then, of course, Delhi Ali walked out and said, you know, you've got bad manners. I know it was in a jokey, bantery sort of way, um, but I knew exactly what Delhi Ali meant. And then, uh, of course, Jose then had a, a bit of a dig at Serge as well. But, um, you know, the body language of Serge Aurier uh, that I've seen so far, I've, I've, you know, no wonder why, you know, Tottenham probably want, um, want him out the door this summer. Now, what we do see is Eric Dyer and Jose Mourinho clearly take to each other very quickly. But Dyer also gets a meeting in Mourinho's office where they speak in Portuguese. The relationship between Dyer and Mourinho is quickly established as an important one. And Dyer reveals himself that he was a huge Manchester United fan growing up and cried when Mourinho's Porto knocked Manchester United out of the Champions League in 2004 and also made no secrets about the fact that the boss tried to sign him on several occasions. And Mourinho asked him bluntly to Dyer, why wasn't he a regular under Pochettino? With a defender saying he was close to leaving the club before his lack of playing time. What did you make there of that interaction between Mourinho and Eric Dyer in that first meeting together? I think the most fascinating thing for me about that particular conversation was that when first offered up the chance for Eric Dyer to say, why did Mourinho not playing that much? He didn't really want to say anything, did he? He was quite kind of, well, I don't really know. And then when, when Mourinho pressed him a little bit more to say, look, no, come on, this is your almost this is your opportunity to you know t- tell the truth and tell it out is what why is that? He started to kind of open up a little bit more, so oh, you know, maybe long term injuries and you know, maybe um, you know I, I, I had the conversation with the chairman, you know, and I had the conversation with the manager, sorry, you know, do what am I part of your plan? Should I be here? And and actually think about think about that it now in plain terms. So you've just gone through being, you know, basically playing week in, week out. You've then gone through this, this horrendous injury and illness. He's had with his appendix. He's come back into the team. He hasn't really come back in properly. He hasn't got the form back. He's in and out. He's in and out. He's not getting picked. Then all of a sudden on his mind, he's like, actually, does this manager fancy me anymore? And that is exactly what's been happening with Eric Dyer. So all these people are saying, get rid of Dyer, he's shit, he's this, that and the other. But now you've got some context behind exactly what was going on. He was he was worried. He, he wasn't sure whether or not he had a future at the club under uh, under Mauricio Pochino anymore. He wasn't being played. And he ha- actually had that conversation. Putting that into context, anybody that works for anybody, if you go have to have a conversation with a boss to say, is 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 my is my place still tenable here? Do you still want me? That is going to affect how you work and how you are. And and I think that was the most interesting part for me about that conversation is looking at that and thinking, wow, this guy 
didn't actually think he had a future at the football club anymore due to um, you know all of them uh, things that we just talked about. So that was really fascinating. And again, you know, this, the same thing is that that, that Mourinho is giving him that confidence to go. You're you're going to be my man. And 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 actually, obviously, we get into it. You know, with with um, Eric Dar sitting in the dressing room. But you know, now since since then, and we've got the benefit of hindsight. He signed a new contract and 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 put himself as a centre back. He was still playing midfield at that point. So. Very, very interesting, you know, the the, the, the way that we're viewing and seeing the, the different scene equally, how we're getting a real insight into how the, the workings of the football club um, uh, is behind the scenes. I, I thought it was fascinating for me. We've talked about, you know, a lot of the characters that have been seen so far, uh, very prominently, the likes of Kane, Delhi, uh, Aurier, Vertonghen, Dyer. One player that, you know, we, we never heard a word from across three episodes was Tongi and Dombele. Now, you know, does that just show that he's quite a Didn't quiet, even see him, did we, John? We didn't even yeah. see him. Yeah, I mean, a, a couple of background shots, but that was it. Yeah, you know, this, is our, it yeah. this is our record signing on the same money as Harry Kane. And, and is he getting himself involved enough? Was, was my, my sort of thought process coming out of it. Is he integrating himself enough in the club? You know, I appreciate at the beginning there was some stuff about Musa Sizoko was acting as sort of a big brother to him uh, and that sort of thing. But you're, you're looking at someone who's on the extremely well-paid uh, the same money as Kane, as I said. I want to see a bit more from him. I want to see him getting involved. And I hope that in the later episodes, we do see a bit more from Tongi and Dombele getting involved in the club. John, just sticking with you, we see Harry Kane deliver a captain speech to the circle of players before playing Olympiacos, and he tells the team to effing kill him. And you have to wonder, even at that point, John, if Mourinho's language is influencing the England striker. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even that first game, actually, the West Ham game, we saw Kane commit more sort of tactical fouls in the game than I'd ever seen him do before. Um, and he seems to have taken on Mourinho's persona as being the leader in the team um, in the way he talks, in his confidence, in his aggression, in his you know, delivery of, of speech. He suddenly seems like this super uh, powerful, confident leader of a guy, uh, whereas beforehand we'd seen him sort of... Uh, you know, slightly quiet. We've never really had this access to, to him either. Um, but I was really impressed with what I saw from Kane, actually. And it does make you wonder, should he just be our permanent captain altogether? I do agree that he's definitely more vocal. And it, it, sometimes, to me, it felt like he was learning to be vocal rather than kind of naturally being vocal. And I think at one, one part, episode one, I think um, uh, Jao Zacramento talked about Kane being a kind of a silent uh, leader, as in leading by example, and Jose agrees. But there's there's a time in in episode two, I think, in the tactics room where um, where Kane comes up and sorts of you know over uh, talks over Jose, and Jose says, yeah, 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 no, that's okay, go for it. And he addresses the the room, still sitting in his seat, still looking at Jose, but actually addresses the room about saying that we we have to take responsibility for our own jobs on the pitch, and we're not doing that enough, and it feels like that everyone just you know is just passing the buck almost. But to me, what he was saying was right. And, and I think he was absolutely right to do that. But for me, he didn't feel comfortable saying that. It felt like he blushed up a bit. It felt like that he, he was saying it for the first time. Do you know what I mean? So on, on to John's point where, where he's growing in kind of that leadership role in terms of being vocal and taking on that mantle. Like for me, he, he just felt like it, somebody that was was trying to do it for the first time and and, and start to get that and I, and for me I think that can only be massively positive because if he starts doing that and leading foot in that way as well 
I mean, God, this this guy's going to fly. So I think that's part of his development, you know, that movie style development and that 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 you know that ability to be able to say it's not just about my actions; it's about what we're doing as a unit, as a team. And I thought that was a fascinating bit to. Sorry to interrupt, but I thought it was a fascinating bit to to kind of highlight there. No, and I think it's an important bit to highlight. Chris, coming around to you, we see Mourinho running through his tactics at defending corners, and he points at Serge. He says, "Serge, you are a marker. You speak good English." Orion nods. I'm afraid of you as a marker, Mourinho booms, because you are capable of doing a shit penalty with VAR. So I'm telling you already, I'm afraid of you. Much to the amusement of Deli Alley. Um, Aurea looks like, Chris, he's been slapped in the face and can't quite believe what his own coach has just told him. But many Spurs fans would probably agree with that assessment of a player who is dynamic in attack, but too often rash in defence. It has to be said, Aurea, remarkably, does score the third goal with Spurs overturn a 2-0 deficit to win the game 4-2. But what did you make, Chris, of that scene? Because Mourinho's been saying what we've all been thinking for, what, the last two years? Exactly. Absolutely love that clip. Um, you know, to see Serge Aurier look, uh, you know, so disappointed, so shocked, um, you know, to, to, to sit there and just be so shocked that what Mourinho has just said. But as you said, um, you know, all of us fans have felt that for a very, very long time. Um, but ultimately, Serge Aurier got the uh, the third goal in the game. Um, you know, Sacramento gave him instructions to to join the attack and be more attacking in that game. And then after the game, you know, um, Serge Aurier then celebrating with his whole team. So, you know, that clip in itself, you see him so disappointed and so shocked um, at what Mourinho said. But then at the end of the game, you know, so happy. Even the likes of Hugo Lloris was in the uh, the changing room um, celebrating with Serge Aurier. It really was a wonderful moment. And um, I've said this before on, uh, on these podcasts, you know, Serge Aurier for me had has improved under Jose Mourinho. Um, not that I'm thinking that we want to keep him um, at the club for the future, but you know when you go back to the days of Mauricio Pochettino, I think that he was a lot worse defender. Um, and I think that Jose Mourinho has obviously worked with him a lot um, and improved his game. Um, but we know that Sergio Aurier can finish. We know that he can cross. We know that he's a good attacking player, but it's just the defensive side of his game uh, that just isn't so good. Now, again, what was quite remarkable is we see in a half-time team talk against Olympiacos that Mourinho's voice is known to be soft, almost smoothing, as he pleads for calmness in his size play. You won't have maybe heard a ton of that before, but it was a far cry from the pre-match team talk where Serge Aurier was scored in front of his teammates. And again, it references the point that Mourinho is a character. It's very different to maybe what we was expecting in terms of how he's come across. He is calm, he is collective, and maybe it's a sign that he is starting to learn as he does get older in terms of being able to handle different players and different personalities depending on the game that he's up against. I was really pleased with Dyer's reaction actually because it shows he really cares and we want players at Tottenham that genuinely care about playing for Tottenham and it bothers them when things aren't going right and they want it to go right. So I was really pleased with his reaction. Uh, I was a little disappointed that maybe a few of the other players didn't sort of console him after. He was just, he looked absolutely devastated, you know, he was sitting there, his head in his hands uh, whilst the other players were, uh, you know, celebrating that, that, that comeback win and, and what a vital win it was. Um, but, you know, I, I was generally pleased with his reaction that he cared. And I thought it was interesting that in the scene after that, uh, Levy uh, and Mourinho are discussing, you know, Dyer's reaction to that and the fact that he was going to leave Winks out for the Bournemouth game. So as the team would have that sort of togetherness, you know, so that he, he would he would take someone else out of the team to put Dyer back in. Spot on. Yep. To have that sort of Spot family on. feeling. He says Love for, the, for the family, for the feeling of the family. That's the words he used. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's really important, actually, so that everyone feels a part of it together. We're not just isolating Dyer. That was one game, but we're going to now put him back in for the next game to show we still have faith in him to deliver as a Tottenham Hotspur player. 
We do. And then we saw, like I mentioned, there, totally the, agree. the ball boy being invited to breakfast with the players following his contribution to Olympiacos. And then we see, coming around to you, Lee, Deli Ali, the young midfielder, calling to a one-to-one meeting by Mourinho to discuss what he expects from him, demanding on the training ground to pass more quickly, instinctively. And to be fair, you know, that was put pretty much into action straight away because we saw Deli Ali's assist for Hummin Son in the away trip to West Ham was a carbon copy of the drill seen in the opening episode. And it highlights just how quickly the Spurs team was adapting to orders from their new boss and you know with the relationship with Ali it's a fascinating subplot to the early episodes you know we see Mourinho the way he has that chat with Delhi and I think Lee it'll be interesting to get your thoughts on this that the fact I think Delhi looks quite clearly uncomfortable with facing up to how his career has kind of meandered but he was hanging on every word Mourinho said and in the early days of Mourinho's tenure we did see an upturn in his form particularly you know in that early period what did you make of that meeting with Mourinho and Deli Ali. I think you're spot on. I, I, it's, again, fascinating. This is stuff that I wanted to see. This is the stuff that, that really interests me. Behavioural, attitude, you know, the way players are going about their business. You know, just coming back to, just quickly on the Eric Dyer thing, because, you know, the picture tells a thousand words. But Jose wants a reaction. He, he'd already spoken about Eric Dyer before that game, yet he still hauled him off and he still wanted to see what the reaction was. And John just said he was really pleased with Eric, Eric's reaction, as was I. And I think Jose would have been in as well, which is why he's got a new contract and why, why he's going to, you know, he knows that he can trust that that type of player. I think with Deli, it was the same thing. He told exactly what we've all been thinking, or some of you want to sell Deli, don't you, on this pod, to be fair. But, you know, um, you know, for, for, for me, I think he's an absolute wonderful player, wonderful, wonderful superstar. He's going to be absolutely amazing and he will get his form back. But Jose told him exactly what our fans, the fans, us, have been saying about Delhi over the last kind of 12, 18 months. And even Delhi said it himself. He said he knows last season he didn't play very well. He knows that he needs to improve and, and do certain things. And I just think it was fascinating. It's brilliant to see that how is he going to react? So Jose's pulled him in. He's told him how it was. Your career's Miranda and it's shot up and now it's kind of just bubbling at the top. You're going to make them, you're going to have them regrets if you don't do something about it. Now you regret the, the fact that you could have gone even further and it's up to you to go further it's not up to me to tell you it's up to you to criticize yourself and go further what can you do better what can you do more and if he can get Delhi Delhi's mindset thinking about that my word we have got an absolute global superstar in, in our ranks uh, you know not just a superstar a global one so you know for me again that can only be positive for the football club only be positive for for Deli Ali's career as well and you know good luck to that I mean I love him you know I do and I think he's absolute wonderful footballer and I think that he can get even better and I just think again the man management of Jose to bring him in to talk to tell him how it is He's gone away thinking. I think his exact words were, it's not for me to tell, it's for you to go away and think about where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? There's only one person in this room that knows how far they can go. And it ain't me, it's you. So go away, have a think about it. It's exactly what I'd be saying to some of my people. I've got to be honest with you. That's how I I manage. So I, I I thought it was superb. Absolute brilliant scene. And, and of course, then Delhi goes away. He starts scoring goals. A wonderful goal against Manchester United. Mm. You know, he scored two against um, was it Bournemouth yep. um, as well, and and obviously got the assist or, or or kept it in play for the West Ham game or whatever. And he, as as you say, Ricky, went on a wonderful run. So it's about keeping that level. Keeping, I think Lucy said on a pod a couple of weeks ago with us, you know, some, sometimes maybe Delhi believes his own height, but the reality is, is to to stay grounded and and how far can you actually go and. 
I think this guy's got it all. So hopefully in his mind, he thinks that as well. And we've got a superstar, mate. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Chris, coming over to you, feel free to talk about Delhi. I know we're trying to rush through this here, but also in the course of that series, as we mentioned, Levy has seen discussing team selections a lot with, you know, Mourinho and the contract of the new manager. And this time, as John referenced, he's discussing sacrificing Winks for Dyer against Bournemouth after substituting him against Olympiacos. And as I mentioned, the words he used was for the family, for the thing of the family. And Mourinho discusses the three problems Spurs have at half-time against Bournemouth. They lack aggression, intensity and lack of winning the ball back in that first half. And he also said the most important thing is to start the second half strong. Press them high as Mourinho steered Tottenham to three wins in a row. And what we do see also is there's this obsession, this mad obsession that we have to catch Chelsea. We can dislodge them for the top four. I mean... Chris, it's a lot more positive, I think, than what I imagined it to be. He really does genuinely believe top four is doable. He wants to play the high press. There is nothing about sitting back, is there? Were you quite surprised, Chris, that you know you see that reaction from Mourinho that we may not have thought? I love the uh, the first three games. Of course, Jose Mourinho come in. He won the first three out of three. Um, you know, that first game, West Ham United away. We hadn't won a Premier League game away from home in 10 months. To get that win for him, and he even said it on the Amazon show as well, that you know, to get that win for the boys and to get that win for him was extremely important. You know, he wanted to start with that winning start. And the fact that we then went down, uh, you know, 2 0, um, you know, to Olympiacos at home, we were all sitting there in the stadium thinking, here we go again, you know, we're going to go out of the Champions League. And then, of course, uh, he made that um, change after 29 minutes, um, you know, taking Dyer off. And, uh, you know, a lot of us fans thought, you know, this really is, um, you know, what we want to see, you know, to make these major changes after 29 minutes. You know, there's not many managers that that have the balls to do to do that, you know, after 29 minutes. So, um, you know, to then beat Bournemouth at home 3-2, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great start for Jose Mourinho. And, uh, you know, one thing that I've picked up on, um, you know, watching these first three episodes is his relationship with Chairman Daniel Levy. You know, it seems to be a very, very good one. They seem to communicate a lot. Um, Daniel Levy um, goes in Jose's office, asks him if he's okay. They're then talking in the canteen. You know, you hear so many Premier League managers say that they don't even talk to to their chairman. They don't even see their chairman at times. The, the relationship seems to be very good. And when Jose Mourinho was appointed back in November, when Poch got the sack, you know, a lot of fans on social media thought that, this uh, relationship between Mourinho and Daniel Levy will never, ever work. But it seems to be working very, very well. And if they keep communicating like this and Jose keeps telling him exactly what he wants, you know, it's all about that close relationship and, you know, that that building um, of the relationship. And I'm sure that um, Jose Mourinho will end up taking Tottenham forward and and ultimately giving us the, uh, the trophies that we desperately need. Chris, I think you make an absolutely outstanding point there. You know, the, the relationship with Levy and Jose, for me, I don't know what you guys thought or the listeners think w- w- watching the documentary, but it almost feels like it's it's got a kind of an investigation um, sense about it. You know, not the documentary, the, you know, the actual um, playing. You know, the, the, Daniel Levy is coming in to get updates from Jose after each training session or each game. Like, what do you think here, Jose? Like, wh- where do we need to strengthen? Or, you know, are, are, have we got them areas? I know them words haven't been said, but it feels a little bit almost a 90 kind of pre-season or 100-day. What's your, you know, when you take a new job, typically, you know, in the senior management role or senior leadership role, you're kind of given, a, what's your first 90 days look like or your first 120 days look like? And it feels like that a little bit. You know, you're seeing behind the scenes of like, Jose's almost kind of going, right, okay, 
these are the people that I can trust or these are the people that I can't, these are the areas that, you know, it's almost investigation of, you know, what, what he needs in the future. And I, and I think I'm looking at it from a positive perspective to say, look, the obsession to get into the top four and whatever last season was there because that was something to hold on to and to go after. But actually, all the work that he's doing is for now. All the work that he's been doing is for this forthcoming season. Does, does that make sense? And it feels to me that the, the, the amount of work that they've done is almost kind of set the foundations for what we're going to expect this season. I don't know if it's a bit more hope than expectation. I don't know. Maybe you guys can shed a little blight on it. But for me, that's why I'm excited because it feels to me like we've put all the groundwork in for last season. All right, we didn't get the result that we wanted in terms of the top four or to win a trophy, but that's going to leave us in good stead now for what's to come over the next kind of couple of seasons. Jose Mourinho comes across this hard management style he has done for many years. Um, but what I loved about him, the amount of times he could come in the changing room, particularly after we beat Bournemouth that, that day, and he said Chelsea have lost as well at home. Um, that's six points. Last week it was 12. There was just constant um, you know, encouragement to the yep. Tottenham players, so constant encouragement of saying, look, we can reach the top four. Yep. I love that because... All of us as fans, you know, yeah. I remember, at the, you know, I was saying on on these shows, Tottenham will finish top four. Yeah, you know, yeah. we can do it. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, we've got all of those injuries. But, you know, is the constant encouragement from a manager. That was lovely to see from him. I totally awesome. agree. Totally yeah, agree. Well, listen, we've got to go for a very quick break. When we return, we're coming with episode three. Do not go anywhere. We're back after this very, very short break. Hello and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs, providing you with in-depth analysis of the Tottenham Hotspur documentary All or Nothing as we analyse episodes one to three. Starting with episode three, coming over to you, John. It opens with a surprising exchange between the players on the club plane in which Carl Walker-Peters reveals to the cameras he had been in a minor car accident with Deli Ali the day prior, with Ali quick to defend himself, saying he couldn't see where he was going because of the young defender's bright car lights. The midfielder later then revealed his car didn't even have a scratch on it. But interestingly, going on from that, John, we do see Harry Kane, of all people, later interrupt the manager's meeting with Jose Mourinho and the players as he speaks up in a team meeting after Mourinho's first defeat in charge. A 2-1 reversal to Manchester United in which he accuses his teammates of hiding all season, insisting that he's not good enough. And we all thought it, Harry, to be honest with you. But again, Mourinho re-emphasises the point that this squad, they are simply too nice, they have to be more aggressive, and he's trying to change the mentality of this group. Yeah, nice guys win nothing. And I'm really, really pleased that Kane spoke up like that, actually. That probably takes quite a lot of balls in front of guys you've known for a long time. Kane came through as a youth player, while some of those players were were senior players at the club. Actually, have confidence in himself to speak up and say, look, why does this keep happening? You know, we keep talking about it, but nothing changes. It keeps happening. And I think the signings this summer Mourinho has made, the likes of Matt Doherty, Pierre-Emile Hoybier and Joe Hart, are players that bring the characteristics he's looking for. The characteristics that say... We're going to come out today and you're not going to belittle us. You're not going to bully us. We're going to come and we're going to get the three points. So I think everything we've seen in the documentary completely backs up the signings Mourinho has made this summer. So I'm really pleased by that. And I was delighted that Kane actually had the balls to come out and speak up um, in front of his fellow pros, you know, because it, it does need to be said. I remember when we lost the FA Cup semi to Man United and Mourinho's Man United, actually. And Delhi came out after and he looked very upset and said, we need to stop doing this. But we're talking about 18 months later and we're still doing the same things. You know, against United again, we lost 2-1. So I want the players to do more than talk, do more than come out after games where we lose and say, oh, you know, but well done to the fans. 
I want players to go out and just win the game in 90 minutes, dictate the game and leave nothing on the pitch. And I was really, really proud and happy to see Harry Kane address those issues. Now, coming over to you, Lee, we see Jose put on a training exercise to bring the squad together in which he personally refereed it. He says it's a tried and tested system to bring a squad more united. And again, we see that the players enjoyed that session. And then what quickly kind of follows on from that is the interesting Ericsson situation because it's fair to say that one of the more significant parts of Spurs' season was the situation surrounding the midfielder who joined Italian side Inter Milan in January and is a central character to this particular episode. We see in a meeting between Levy and Mourinho, the chairman reveals the situation surrounding his future is a difficult one, citing complications with communication between the club and his agent as the main issue around his contract. Levy said Christian Eriksen's agent, Martin Scoots, went quiet on Tottenham in the final year of the midfielder's contract. And Eriksen's situation last season is covered in episode three. And Levy said Spurs were completely in the dark about his future as he ran down his contract. Levy's words were, it's so complicated with him. The problem with Christian is none of us know what is the real truth. His agent controls everything and there is no dialogue between the club and his agent. It's a real difficult one. If he's got six months left, whether he's signed for another team or he's not signed, he's subconsciously going to be wary of injury. It's going to be in his head. And Lee, we do see, to be fair, quite a number of interviews with Ericsson where he feels that he's being controlled like an object. He feels that, you know, in his mind, he doesn't quite know where he is. And I actually, Lee, I actually feel quite sorry for him. I really genuinely do. And what I will say is that he still feels disappointed to not be picked. Did you change your perspective or viewpoint on the back of watching this with the Ericsson situation? Yeah, it's a brilliant part of the of the series so far, to be fair. Just on that training session, just quickly to cover that off. When Mourinho first came into a football club, there was no smiles. You know, no one was, it was very serious. You know, people was in a dire situation, weren't they? You know, with, you know, where we was in the league table. And within three episodes, he's got smiles on their faces and they're running around and jumping on each other again. And, and I know that sounds so stupid, but I said this time and time again on the Love Sports shows, on the podcast that we do, you know, it's so important to be enjoying what you're doing, even at elite level. You know, yes, um, you need to be, you know, I don't want to have jokers around uh, um, in my team all the time, but I want people to have fun whilst doing it and, and realise that actually it, isn't, it doesn't have to always be serious, whether that's business or football, elite sport, whatever it might be. So I thought, I, I, again, I took a lot from that. That's Jose stamping his authority and, and, his, and his personality and his manager leadership style on that squad in, in what, in, in three episodes. I think with the Christian Eriksen thing, I mentioned this before, I felt Lee, uh, Daniel was quite quite placid uh, when it comes to the contract talks with Ericsson. It felt like that we'd been, like Daniel Levy cited, it was no communication from the agent, but it felt like that none of us, uh, the football club I'm talking about, no, no, no one in the football club took this and, and went into it. It felt like, oh, you know, we're treading on eggshells around Christian Ericsson when actually what we should be should have been doing is going, right, you've been here six and a half years. You've come up publicly and said you want a new challenge. You know, do you or not? Like, do you want to see, do you want to come with us? Do you want to be with us? We don't feel like we had them conversations. We've seen the first three, three episodes that, you know, Jose's brought in Delhi, Kane and Eric in diff different scenarios for one-to-ones. Who was doing that with with Christian Eriksen a year ago or six months ago, even eighteen months ago? You know, to, you know, to have that conversation and and actually, whether or not you know, everyone talks about Daniel Levy runs this, he runs a club, he pays people, whatever. Why isn't he having them conversations then? So you know, why is he saying, oh, you know, it's a difficult situation. I can't get hold of the agent, or the agent's not coming back to me. We'll make him come back to us. 
Do you see what I mean? I just felt it was a little bit placid in that way. And, you know, and that should have been dealt with. But I think Christian Eriksen is an absolute wonderful, wonderful player. But you can tell just in this episode alone, the body language, the way he felt it was, it is being handled probably by the football club and even maybe by his agent. We really never know the nitty gritty, but, you know, you can tell that he was, he was upset about how that had finished and how that had ended. And all of us as fans is upset because he's been a baller for us. So I tweeted that yesterday, but, um, you know, because it was, was it six and a half years ago to the bell, seven years ago yeah. that he signed for us. So yeah. that you put out on the last one on Spurs account. So, you know, I think that, you know, it could have been handled uh, much better. Um, but I think, again, there's lessons to be learned there. And like John just said before about the playing style, if we keep doing the same things in the FA Cup on the playing field, you know, we need to be learning the same things that are out off the playing field as well. We can't keep doing this. We can't keep letting um, superstars or players run their contracts down and not tie them up. I mean, we've had that with Jan. We've had that with Ericsson. We've, we, we could have had that with Toby. We virtually did have that, although, although that got resolved. And we, we banged on about this for over a year now in terms of the contract levels. And Christian Eriksson was one. And, you know, you can l- clearly see his body language. He's not... He's not in the mixer, is he? He's not in the group. He's not, he's not, he's just, you know, he's just floating about there. And, and, and because he doesn't know where he is, he doesn't know where he stands, he's almost in no man's land. Does that make sense? And that, that for me was a major problem. You know, if the agent isn't contacting you, you contact the agent, you get the agent into yeah. office and you make it happen. You drive that decision. And the club didn't do that for me. Yeah. I mean, Chris, just to get your viewpoint on that Ericsson situation, because, you know, it really is played out there. You know, we do see a lot about it. You know, later in the episode, we're going to come on to it that, you know, Mourinho and, and Levy, you see that interaction again where Levy says, can you try one more time to, to change his mind? I mean, Chris, what was your thoughts on how that played out? And do you feel slightly different about how you may have felt about Christian Eriksen wanting to leave the club? Because he makes that point, references that he does feel like an object being moved around. He's been linked with thousands of clubs, he says. And, you know, in his mind, it's a whirlwind, isn't it? Well, yeah, Dave, Rick, I, I can't understand why an agent, a chairman and a manager can't all come together. You've seen how easy it is that, you know, Daniel Levy and Jose Mourinho um, talk on a daily basis. So what is it with all these agents? You know, I was at a um, an event a couple of years ago and Daniel Levy was there talking about agents and saying about uh, when a club is involved, when a, an agent is involved, it's so difficult to get deals over the line. And that's why um, we seem to have problems, you know, signing and selling players um, so often. Um, but how awkward was that moment when Daniel Levy and Jose Mourinho were sat in the canteen, um, Christian Eriksen walks in, shakes his hand yeah, and says, hello, yeah. Christian, um, shakes Mourinho's <laughs> hand. It was just such totally. a, Spot an awkward totally. moment. Yeah, so, uh, so strange. Yeah. Rick, if, if I can, um, I would just like to go back to a yeah, point. Yeah, please do, please do. Uh, the Manchester United um, defeat, obviously it was the first defeat under Jose Mourinho. You know, mm. up, up to that point, we'd won all three games. Um, I felt very disappointed, I must say, that when Jose Mourinho was in that room and saying that this group of players are a bunch of good guys and they were hiding and the attitude was not good enough and they had very bad feelings about the game against Manchester United. Um, all of the players, a lot of senior players were in that room and they all just sat there. Lots of them had their arms crossed. I was very disappointed the fact that no one was saying anything, no one was having any input. and then. There was this moment when Harry Kane interrupted Jose Mourinho and Jose Mourinho, um, you know, welcomed it. And at one point, I, th- I felt that Harry Kane was a bit embarrassed to say, you know, am I allowed to speak? And, and Jose Mourinho really welcomed it and said, yes, yes, speak. And I just felt that going back to the days of Mauricio Pochettino, I think it's quite clear and evident now that 
a lot of the players just sat there and just listened to what he had to say, went in one ear, went out the other. And, uh, you know, I'm just so surprised that there was no real input from a lot of the so-called leaders that we have felt mm. um, have been playing for Tottenham you know, during during last season. Spot on, Chris. I was just going to say, I, I referenced that, that moment, um, you, you know, uh, earlier. And, you know, he felt a bit uncomfortable, didn't he do it? He almost flushed up by doing it, but he felt like it was it was his time to say something. And, and that, that did have an indicative way of, of, of the rest of the team. Like you say, like, why aren't Jan saying anything? Why aren't Toby saying anything? Why aren't Eric Dyer saying anything? You know, you know, why why is anyone else saying anything? It was it was okay just for somebody to you know to lambast you, your managers to say, oh, we need to do this better, and oh, off you go, guys, have a, go and have a nice day. That's what you're alluding to, isn't it, Chris? Absolutely. I think that just within a few weeks of Mourinho being manager, he he was making um, Harry Kane into a real leader, and you know, to stand up in front of your teammates and say, you know, this is not good enough. And it hasn't been good enough all season. And then, of course, Harry Kane then said that lots of players are worried about playing out of position. So Maurizio Pochettino must just, you know, drum that into their head about their position of where they can go, where they can't go. Because all of us say about Ben Davis, about his attacking, you know, he, you know, he very rarely attacks. Well, he's probably being told to do that. You know, a lot of the players that yeah. perhaps criticised fans in the past, you know, they've been told to do a certain job. So it's not their fault some of the time. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And during that episode, we also see Mourinho explain the confidence to play and the importance of beating Burnley. Explain they will go six points behind Chelsea and get a day off. They don't need any more confidence than that to win. Mourinho explains at half-time against Burnley how the clean sheet is a collective objective. And Mourinho's psycho cheer is charting in the dressing room, which Mourinho raises a smile at at full-time on the back of his goal. And we see Son describe the goal against Burnley as the best goal in his lifetime, to which we see the goal again in South Korean commentary. We see a fan from South Korea explain just how famous Sonny is around the world. Sonny, so humble as he is, says, I'm not famous, but appreciates the support from the fans as he has back home. We see Sonny signing some shirts of personal fans. And then we see Daniel Levy and Jose Mourinho actually discussing the goal that Sonny scored and just how much Daniel said to Mourinho he enjoyed winning with style. I thought that was very, very nice to see that, actually, that for Daniel, it wasn't just very about winning, it was about winning with style. And towards the end of that episode, as we've referenced, Levy revisits the topic with Mourinho and tries to get him to agree one last time to try and convince Christian Eriksen to stay. In a later scene, as we see what... Chris was mentioning that we see Ericsson come over to Levy and Mourinho in the club canteen with Levy asking his manager can you turn him and Mourinho replies I can try again then we see Toby Adeviroeld and Jan Vertonghen's contracts being the next focus which left then with six months left to go on each of their contracts Jan Vertonghen agonising as he considers uprooting his family and leaving the end of his contract, but stressed just how much he loved playing for Tottenham, but also in his mind an acceptance that day is going to come very soon. We see Mourinho discussing Ricardo from his coaching staff in terms of his socks and clothing fashion, and Mourinho re-emphasising this point again, Lee, re-emphasising this point again, just how much he wants to catch Chelsea ahead of that game against Wolves, and he explains how Wolves are aggressive, they win lots of 50-50s, and he actually name-checks Spurs' new signing Doherty to say, look, Got to watch this guy. He's aggressive. Traore picks out, and he picks out Jimenez as well. He likes some of your signings, Lee, that you want. 
for sure. Well, we signed one of them, so that's that's happy days, isn't it? Maybe he's going back after him, and it's. Uh, I think all of us on the on the pod would would love to see in a Tottenham shirt. To be fair, I mean, yeah, I mean, a good episode. I think that for for me, that the, the key point out uh, pickouts there was the, the contract Ericsson uh, contract situation, as you say, um, and, and also Son as well. I mean, I, I do think just just quickly on Son, I, I do think that. Maybe a lot of us don't realise how much of a superstar we have. We all love him. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a, a Tottenham fan, or shoot, I don't think there'd be a fan, maybe a Tottenham person, um, that wouldn't like Son. Uh, I think he's absolutely a wonderful player, absolutely brilliant character, everything. But, but the actual global superstar that he actually is, um, you know, uh, s- certainly in uh, or, or, or uh, Asian superstar that he is, I should say. Um, I, I f- some sometimes that might uh, that might uh, pass us by because this guy is absolutely adored, isn't he? In uh, in his in his home in his home uh, countries, um, and uh, you know he's a wonderful, wonderful player. So you know, it's interesting to see that that insight and how how he is because he he is the person that always plays with a smile on his face and he's always happy or seems like it. And then Marino's coming in saying nice guys don't win and he must be thinking, hang on, I'm a really nice guy. So that's quite interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. Yeah, it's a great point. And Chris, coming around to you, we see Mourinho actually call on Ericsson at 1-1 in the game against Wolves. And he explains how at this point, Ericsson, that he still wants to play every game. Even though he may want to move away, Ericsson still committed to want to play. And Vertonghen's winner sees Spurs go three points behind Chelsea, with Jan explaining now that that goal and how it felt for him to score. And a few days after that victory against Wolves, we see Jan delivering supplies to the North Enfield Food Bank with Christmas around the corner. The help is essential to thousands of local families and Jan explained how impressed he was by the food bank after creating a connection with them over the space of four to five years. And Jan and the club, as it was referenced on that documentary by Tom Hardy, they spoke a number of times over his contract situation and he explained how for him he liked to plan ahead. He said he has a young daughter who loves her school. He hadn't told her that he needed to maybe change her school potentially in the future. How did you feel, Chris, about that scene with a tongue? Because it was very intimate and again you kind of come away from that feeling really emotional that there's acceptance with a Tongan that he's probably going to have to already think about moving yeah of course uh, being a professional footballer it's very difficult um, you know for the family point of view um, you know he said he's not going to tell his daughter yet um, about moving her school or, or, or even know what country they're going to be going to but um, Jan Vertonghen, you know, he, he had a great career at Tottenham and, um, you know, I've said many times that I think it's just such a shame that players like this um, end up leaving the club um, trophyless. Um, yeah, you know, him helping out at the Enfield Food Bank, as I said earlier, you know, Tottenham doing um, remarkable work again in the local community. Um, they're always doing that and, you know, very proud to be a Spurs fan to see uh, to see all of that going on. Lee, coming around to you, we do see Toby Alavard, on the other hand, offered a new contract, which he accepted and extended his stay with the club. Toby explained how, for him, he didn't see himself playing for any other club. His new three-year contract was worth a reported £20 million and will keep him at the club until he is 33. He says for him, with a second child on the way, he wants to stay at Tottenham for at least another couple of years. And, you know, again, with the, at that time, Lee, there was a lot of speculation over both Vertonghen and Alderweireld, the two Belgians. Would they stay? Would they go? Toby committed. Are you still comfortable, Lee, from what you saw in that presentation? And again, it's lovely to see the insight between Toby and Jan, you know, how it affects their families and their own private life. I mean, most of the listeners have got, you know, family around them. They've either married with children or, you know, they've they've got partners or, they're, you know, they're, they're living at home with their family, their parents, whatever. 
you know, it, it gives you an in, doesn't it? Into, you know, the, like John alluded to earlier, these these players are just normal people. When you talk about Harry Winks, it's just normal, really, at the end of the day. And, you know, you know, when I consider putting my daughters into school, Jan's doing the same thing, you know. It, you know, it's an upheaval, isn't it, of certain things. And you don't really think about it that way. And that's where I think Christian Eriksen's come from. It's just objects. Oh, right, you're going to go here. It's like, well, hang on a minute. I, I've been living here for six years. I've got my family here. My, my, my girls are in school. You know, this is a big, big upheaval. So it was... It was, it was really fascinating to see that insight and actually lovely to see Toby sign a new deal. Uh, I think all of us would be uh, were, are quite pro-Toby. I think he's now, uh, um, uh, you know, I, I love the line that he said was that, that he'd always wanted to play for Jose Mourinho. And I think that was clear. Again, you know, he wasn't going to sign a new contract under Maurizio um, and, uh, and the, the previous staff. But as soon as Jose come in, he's, he, you know, what was it, in three months, he signed a new contract and it was evident. So I want players playing for, for our wonderful football club that want to be there. I don't want players that, uh, that are playing for our club that don't want to be there. And that, that is hugely basic. But that, for me, is a fundamental reason. Do you want to be at this football club? And are you going to give everything for this club? And if they are, then, you know, for me, that's 60, 70, 80% of the reason why they should, that they should sign a new contract or that they should stay. Now, if having Peter, and that's what I banged on about these contract rebels, of which Toby was one, but he was a contract rebel in the sense that he didn't want to be there. Under Pochino, he didn't want to stay, right? But but under Jose, he does. And 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 you can see that, and you can you can hear that from his own his own words on a documentary. You can see and hear that he wants to play for this football club, and, and I think that's an asset to Tottenham Hotspur. Chris, coming back around to you, we see Jan explain that he knows that one day he will have to face his final day in a Spurs shirt, and the club is in his heart, and the players are in his heart too. We then switch to Jose Muno preparing for his biggest test in his four weeks in charge so far, the game against Chelsea, where if Spurs won, they would go above them. Mourinho explains how Lampard was the best player he ever saw train, and that was to Ericsson and the group. And we see Jose embracing Hummin Son before kickoff, and Harry Kane once again leading the team talk ahead of the game. Deli Ali at half time shows his anger by throwing a water bottle, and Mourinho telling the team to cope with the pressure and believe that they cannot lose and they can get back in the game and press them high and score a goal even in the 85th minute. Chris, were you again quite surprised by as fans? I know many people may have thought, you know negative setup against Chelsea, didn't really fly out the box. But from everything we're seeing, Chris, in terms of the team talks and stuff, it seems the complete opposite to how the players are playing. Is that fair to say? It seems that he does want them to press high, does want them to kind of force the opposition into mistakes and continue believing in themselves. I think that's very fair, Rick. Um, you know, me at the game, uh, very, very disappointed, you know, to, to lose to... An awful, well, to lose to a London rival like Chelsea, you know, is always very, very disappointing. That game was very disappointing. That day was very disappointing. But when you see Jose Mourinho in the changing room, geeing up the players, you know, giving great team talks, um, it is completely different. It really is. Um, you know, when when you see the behind the scenes, you know, what, what this Amazon documentary gives, it just gives you a fantastic insight of what is actually happening. Um, are the players listening? Are the players um, doing, you know, how instructed. Um, but that game, obviously, Hunmin Song got uh, sent off, red card, VAR, um, violent conduct. Um, he was very upset about that, obviously. Um, but even after that game, Jose Mourinho was obviously very disappointed, but he still went in the change room after that match and said, one month ago, 12 points. It is now six points. Come on. You know, still giving encouragement to all of the players, which I absolutely love to see. And Lee, coming around to you, we saw Sonny really 
angrily react in the change room after being sent off. He started to cry, visibly frustrated by the decision as he sits in the change room alone. And Sonny explained how he felt so sorry for the club, sorry for his teammates and his fans. And he says at 27, he should know better. And he was angry with himself. And again, the way that show ends, episode three, is that Mourinho responds by going around to every player at full time, telling them to keep their chin up and how they are only points off Chelsea. Again, Lee, this kind of narrative that Mourinho is a very divisive figure, that he's angry a lot of the time, he's frustrated, he's not a good loser. I do think, you know, it does appear, so far from what we've seen in this documentary, we're only three episodes in, there's a different side to the man. There's a different side. Is that coming across for you as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, w- when we start hitting some some tougher results like Norwich and, uh, um, you know, losing, uh, getting outside the, the FA Cup and losing to Sheffield United and all that sort of stuff, maybe we'll see something slightly different. But but yeah, I'm, I completely agree. I completely agree with Chris as well. The insights that he's given us, this is what fascinates me. Now, I, I would have expected from the outside of Jose to come in at half-time at a 2-0 and absolutely roast the players, but he didn't yeah. at all. Yeah. And he was actually trying to keep them to calm, keep them on the game plan. Not once has he said, go and park the bus. Not once has he said, stay behind, you know, in, in uh, you know, sit behind the ball and don't do anything. He hasn't said that at all. He's actually said the complete opposite is to go, um, go and attack, go and, I think, uh, before the Burnley game, I think it was it was depicted that he said in the in the dressing room or in the tactics room, go and be free, go and be, go and want to play. He used the C word, the confidence word, not the other words, the confidence word at least 10, 15 times during the first four episodes about getting confidence in and getting your confidence up to go and play. Um, and again, in the Chelsea game, you know, Delhi was frustrated and you could see his anger, but ha- harness the pressure, handle the pressure, know what you've got to go and do. And it doesn't matter 84th, 85th minute, we can go and score. Look, look, the game plan went out the window, clearly, when Song got sent off. But again, why did Song get sent off? Because he was getting that anger and that nastiness in that Jose's been trying to get into them three, four, five weeks previous to that. And, and so, so you know, it, it, it's a little bit misplaced in terms of the, the nastiness or the anger, but it, it's not a coincidence, is it? He's been banging the drum saying, be nasty, nice guys don't win. And then all of a sudden, Song gets sent off. It's kind of like, you know, it is, it is, it, the, the message is being, um, uh, is, is, is being listened to and trying to be acted upon. And I think that's where I was coming from earlier in the, in the pod, lads, when I said about it feels like, you know, the 90-day plan or the 120-day plan where they're, 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 they're setting themselves up for next year. They've gone after something which is a top four that would have been absolutely incredible but but actually probably you know knowing that, that it was it was tough to do but we nearly got there in, in terms of where we are in the episodes now only six points behind and we could have gone I think that's the most frustrating thing is that he would have learned a lot about his players knowing that we didn't handle that pressure we didn't handle the pressure to be able to take them three points we'd have gone above Chelsea that for Christmas day we'd have been above Chelsea, we'd have been in the top four place. Yeah. And, and that, that was significant. That would have been huge, I think, for us as, as fans, as the players, as everything else. To I think Kane alluded to that, didn't he, in the team talk before. It's like, come on, boys, we're going to have a fantastic Christmas. Let's go out and win. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously the disappointment, again, is that we didn't do it. And that's indicative in Tottenham. And that's what Jose's got to change. And I have to say, on the first three episodes that I've seen, Fascinating stuff. I cannot wait until the, the next uh, three come out. And I'm massively positive. But I always am anyway, but you know that. But but I'm, I'm hugely yeah. positive about the future of Tottenham. You know, with with the with this man in charge and what we can actually see there, you know, the desire of the players that we that he's changing. Like I said before, it's a transformation, it's a change in mentality. Mm. And the signings that we've brought in thus far. Um and and also I have to say, and Chris, you, you point out the relationship between Levy and Jose. 
um, sorry, Daniel and Jose seems very, very strong as well. I just, I just think this, you know, I think this could be very, very good for us. Very, very good. Yep. Chris, just to give you that summary as well, like Lee's done there, give us an overall rating so far, one to three, how you feel. Because for me personally, um, I am quite pleased from what I've seen so far. I know it's going to get worse. I know there's obstacles to come. But from what I've seen, one to three, I'm feeling quite positive about the future. Give us a rating for you as we look to close this one. Well, I think it's explosive, Rick. I've absolutely loved it. Mm. You know, I've been up all night watching it. Um, we're all we're all absolutely tired because we're we've all been watching all night. Yeah. Um, but no, it's been absolutely fantastic. Buzzing, I, mate. I buzzing. Per- <laughs> I personally thought Jose Mourinho um, has, has come across so, so well. I've been hugely impressed with him. Um, I expected him to be a manager um, throwing bottles on the floor and shouting and swearing. I know he's done a lot of swearing, but... It, it surprised me on how calm he's actually been throughout the uh, the three episodes so far. Um, I'm hugely looking forward to uh, the next six. I think um, you know it'll be a great insight again to how our how our club works behind the scenes. And yeah, really looking forward to it. Totally agree. Well, there you go, guys. Episodes one to three reviewed. We will be back with you guys very soon for the next instalment of the next three episodes. Well, again, we'll be going into the analysis, dissecting those episodes. And as always, if you like the last word on Spurs, if you are a new listener to the show, you can check us out at Last Word on Spurs. I'm with at Lee McQueen. I'm with at Chris Cowlin. And I was also joined by the brilliant John over at Lily White underscore Rose. We'll be back with you very soon. And as always, come on you Spurs. You said that people have perceptions of you. What do they say? The guy never smiles. The guy is ruthless. And what's the truth? The truth is that there is some truth on it. <laughs> Nothing can replace a feeling of playing football at this level. The team is the engine of the club. We've got an amazing squad here. Oh, leave it out. <laughs> it's only the second time that I get a job in mid-season. Never seen someone covered. Twitter, Instagram. Oh my God! Oh, Pain. <laughs> if you make a lot of noise, I give one more day off. What happened to us this season is impossible. Another injury is the last thing Spurs need right now. How do we do that? Tottenham are out. We are on shutdown. Coronavirus has led to the cancellation of all football. Well, the team are good guys. But good guys, they never win. Play aggressive. How is the rat? Hey, please! And believe that you can win. Courage. Honesty. Friendship. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. 
You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.